just curious, how many of you were here last week? Can I see your hands? Oh, good, because I want to do a pop quiz on what the message was on last week. <laughs> no, I do have some questions I want to start out uh, asking you. They're, they're, they're simple. They might determine whether you go to heaven or not, but other than that, don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Question one. It's the coldest day of the winter. The temperature is zero with wind gusts of 40 miles per hour. You wear, A, the warmest clothes you can find, or B, you put on a T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. How many are with A? Can I see your hands? <laughs> okay. All right, you passed so far. Let's go to the next one. Getting to your destination requires walking across a good-sized red-hot blacktop parking lot followed by a gravel path with large rocks and glass. A, you go barefooted, or B, you wear shoes. How many are A? B? Oh, man, you guys are good. You're on your way to heaven. One more. One more. Let's see how you do. You get lost in a big city and you need to ask for directions. On a corner, you see a crowd of young men, most having pistols visible in their waistbands. A, you stop your car and ask the young men for directions. Or B, you lock your car and continue until you find a safe-looking gas station. Is there anybody that said A? <laughs> B, you're on your way to heaven. You're good to go. Now, since you answered the way you did, there's a statement I want to share with you. If you answered A, B, and B, which you did, you would agree with the following statement. Unnecessary and unwise degrees of vulnerability should be eliminated when possible. Let me repeat it and let it sink in for a minute. Unnecessary and unwise degrees of vulnerability should be eliminated when possible. In this series, I've so emphasized the value of vulnerability. You know, Christ depicts it. Love requires it. But there is still evil in this world. And so some vulnerability is unwise and it's unnecessary. We know this. We, we practice, you know, wise uh, constraints uh, or protection all the time. You know, we lock our doors at night. We, if you have a convertible car, you don't go down the road when it's raining with the convertible top down. So <laughs> we know that some vulnerability is just unwise and unnecessary. So we're going to look at a portion of Scripture today that kind of brings this to the forefront that there are times when the people of God have to gather together to put up some protections, some appropriate God-honoring walls or boundaries in our lives. So we're going to spend our time uh, looking at a portion of Scripture way back in the Old Testament. But vulnerability, community thrives on it when, when God's people, community thrives on it when God's people are moved by, what does it say? A shared vision. So being vulnerable is not the problem. Vulnerability can actually cause community, bonds of unity amongst God's people to thrive. When we feel vulnerable, when we feel endangered, we can literally thrive on community, but it's only when God's people are moved by a shared vision. This church started uh, October 27th, 1991. Okay, so this coming October, I think it'll be 30 years, 31, I kind of lose track. But it all started with a handful of us that just had a shared vision. And it's just continued right on down to this day. And we still have the same vision. So a shared vision amongst God's people is a very powerful thing. And it helps to push back the tides of evil, at least to some degree. And allows for healthy development for God's people, for our families, uh, to impact our society and so forth. So... We're going to go now to um, the book of Nehemiah. And before we go there, though, I'm going to kind of give you some background. 
The book of Nehemiah takes place uh, 445 B.C. That's about 2,466 years from now back. In 445 B.C., the Israelites had been back in their land, back in Jerusalem in particular, for about 71 years. In fact, 71 years before the portion of Scripture we're going to look at, they had rebuilt their temple. Their temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. They went into captivity for 70 years. Then they came back under the Persians, rebuilt their temple in 516. But now when you come to where we're going to go today, the temple has been built for 71 years, but the city walls are still just a pile of debris they're they're not built at all now you have to understand in in the ancient world if a city did not have a wall it was looked upon as being ridiculous it would be like you and I building a house putting a lot of money to build a house and then not putting doors on the house or windows on the house it was also a disgrace to the particular god or goddesses that that city aligned themselves to and so for the Israelites to be back in their land for 71 years have their temple supposedly worshiping their god and yet having no city walls to show honor of their god it was really mockery to god now they weren't probably thinking that way but but so it was so the story starts like this and you read it sometime on your own Nehemiah there's this guy named Nehemiah and he has the job of being the king's cupbearer which essentially meant this it's a job that any of us qualify for have you ever had the frustration of looking in the job ads and never seeing anything you can qualify for how many can remember going through that it is it is the most frustrating thing well this is one we could all qualify for all you have to be willing to do is taste drinks and taste food how many are up for that job if it's if it's high paying all you got to do is taste food here's the catch though back in those days there's a lot of assassinations and so if you were yeah if you were the king's cupbearer or food taster it was a great job you lived in the palace you ate good food you drank good drinks unless somebody wanted to kill the king in which case that was your last good meal you had so nehemiah he's the king's cupbearer food taster and he's just a regular ordinary guy he's a Jew that's been deported he's living in Persia he was probably born there and so some of his buddies from Jerusalem they make an 855 mile journey and they come to see Nehemiah who's still in Persia and they say Nehemiah he says man you're not going to believe what's going on in Jerusalem it's bad it's really really bad the people are in terrible terrible condition the city walls are still lying broken down it's just awful and Nehemiah hears this he's just an ordinary guy he's got a pretty good life as long as things go well no assassination attempts and he is shattered by this news he is broken read it on your own sometime he can't stand the thought that God is being dishonored that his people are in trouble that they're not being ministered to and so he just breaks and he gets before God and he cries out for God to do something intervene and then he does the thing that caring people for the sake of God always do he says me send me God I'll do it he didn't have any experience he didn't have any know-how he was a food taster and he says send me I'll be the guy just give me favor in the eyes of the king I will go back and I will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem just just resource me just give me favor with the king read the story chapter 2 he goes before the king he dares to look sad in the king's presence and then he the king says what's up with you Nehemiah looking sad around me Nehemiah tells him he says how can I not be sad when my city lies in ruins and so forth the king says what do you want he says I want to go back and rebuild it and the king says yes 
So Nehemiah gets permission from the king. He gets resources that the king promises he'll give him. He gets protection slips as he has to travel the 855-mile journey, and back he goes. So Nehemiah gets back to Jerusalem now, makes the long journey, circles around the city, checking out the debris for three days. And that's where the text that we're now going to read picks up. So he's back in Jerusalem. He hasn't told anyone what's, what God has put on his mind yet, but he's checked out the damage, and the damage is bad. 71 years, people have been stepping over the trash piles, walking around it, letting things go, when all the other great cities of the day had their walls to honor their kings, their gods, and their goddesses. Okay, let's pick up reading. Nehemiah 2.17, Then I said to them, this is after he surveyed the walls, You see the problem that we have. Jerusalem is desolate, and its gates are burned. Come on, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that this reproach will not continue. He knew that this was a reproach to God. It goes on. Then I related to them how the good hand of my God was on me and what the king had said to me. Then they replied, let's begin rebuilding right away. So they readied themselves for this good project. Now, he strategically divides the people up to rebuild the wall, placing them in strategic places. You'll see the point. By the way, you're going to be glad that I'm reading this and not you because I even stumble over these names. Jedediah, son of Harumpha, worked on the section adjacent to them opposite his what? What section of the wall are you going to be more interested in seeing built back up? The one that's across the way or the one that's right in front of your house see the strategy in front of your house after them benjamin and hashub worked opposite their house again he puts people opposite their house after them azariah son of messiah the son of ananiah worked near his house once again above the horse gate the priests worked each in front of you tell me his house is getting redundant you're saying randy get on with it i understand so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height of the, excuse me, for the people worked with what? All the heart. Let me tell you, this church exists today because from day one, 30 years ago, right up to this day, we have people that love God, that work with all their hearts, and they don't look over their shoulders to see if anyone else is working. They are self-motivated because the love of God has so captivated their heart, they joyfully give themselves to the work of God. And you may likely be some of those that I'm talking to, and so a great work is done. So they rebuild it to half its height. Now, you know and I know, half a wall is not really a finished job. It would be kind of like you getting shingles on your roof and the guy walks away, quits the job, and half your roof is shingled, shingled while you still have water leaks. So this was not sufficient, but it was a really, really good start. Now, I want to read you something that talks a little bit about why community thrives when we feel vulnerable, when, when we have to kind of stick together. Community thrives when we all face the same what? Risks and, the de- and desire the same what? That perfectly describes, by the way, those that were with me when we started this church 30 years ago. We, we didn't know if we were going to make it. We didn't have a clue. We, we wondered. We really wondered. And we all those saw the reward that, man, if God would be willing to use us, we, we saw in advance everything that has transpired through the years, the decades now that have 
been going on in this church. So risks and rewards bind people together. It, it's a commonality of shared vision. When the people of God have a shared vision, it builds community and it builds tremendous motivation because first of all, it's, it's a spiritual bond. You see, these people were back in Jerusalem because they were at least identified as being the people of God. That's what brought them there. Now, this doesn't mean that all of them were the people of God. It's no different than in a, uh, any church in America right now, just like in here today. Some of us in here are real people of God. We have put our trust in Christ. We have made up our mind, I'm going to follow Jesus fully, and I'm following him freely, and I'm going to follow him forever because I trust him. He's won my heart. If he's wise enough to create the universe and he loves me enough to die for me, he's won my trust, and so I want to follow him fully, and I want to follow him freely, and I'm going to follow him forever. Now, there are some of us in here perhaps that have not yet really made that decision. We're here, we're identified with the people of God, but we haven't yet put our trust in Christ and become his follower. Pause for one minute. There's always a day and time in our lives, though we may not be able to identify it specifically, when we step over that line and where we make up the decision. You know, I don't really care what anybody else does. Everybody's following somebody, usually ourselves or some other human, but we make up our minds. We say, I, I am going to put my trust in Jesus. I'm going to follow him and I don't really look at what anybody else is doing. Jesus said in John 10, 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them free gift. I give them eternal life. So I am asking you a personal question. Just because we're all here today identified as people of God, it doesn't mean we're all really the people of God yet. I hope we all will be. Have you made your decision to put your trust in Christ? And you don't care what anybody else in the world does. He's won your trust, your heart, and you're going to follow him fully, freely, forever because that is what it means to be a Christian and nothing less than that does it mean to be a Christian. So they were identified. They had a shared vision, but it was a, a spiritually rooted spiritual vision. In the book of Hebrews, we hear a lot about the power of a spiritual vision and its motivational factor. It says, trusting is being confident of what we hope for, convinced about the things we do not see. And without trusting, notice this, without trusting, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to God. Without trusting God, impossible. Because God can't, he can't impart his love to us unless we trust him and trust him enough to look into his will, his word, and obey his will and word. Then we can experience his love. It's impossible to please God without trust because whoever approaches him must trust that he does exist and that he becomes the rewarder of those who seek him out. So they had a shared vision that was spiritual in essence. The second part of this vision was that it was something desirable. You see, they were all unsafe. Now, this was the, the really puzzling part. They had lived for 71 years back in Jerusalem, unnecessarily unsafe from marauding bands that lived all around them. Their families were kept unsafe in a destabilized environment. They, they couldn't, any of them couldn't grow. They couldn't be healthy. They couldn't feel secure and safe and significant with this kind of an environment so it was desirable for them let's do this let's build these walls it just took a catalyst it took somebody to come like a nehemiah and say let's do this good thing so it was not just a spiritual bond this vision but it was a desirable bond they all could see this is something we all want but we just haven't had the catalyst the motivation to do it 
the scripture speaks about desire for the people of God in the New Testament book of Titus it says he meaning Jesus he gave himself for us to rescue us from what you, you can say that loud it's not going to hurt you all wickedness he gave himself for us on the cross is talking about to rescue us present tense from all wickedness because wickedness is not our friend wickedness is our enemy sin is what is destroying our life when we know it and when we don't know it he gave himself for us to rescue us from all wickedness and to make us a pure people who belong to him alone and are eager to do what to do good that, that's just kind of a normality of those that have really put their trust in Christ. We don't do good to gain his favor, to win his favor. We already have his favor. He loves us before we ever care about him at all. But once we trust in him, there's a spontaneity of wanting now. We see the virtue, the value, the beauty of goodness, and we want to do good. So this spiritual shared vision they had it also was one that was desirable to each of them and so this this sense this mutually sensed vulnerability it actually built community they they pulled in together for one another the third part of it was it was feasible i mean rebuilding the wall was not beyond imagination it was not beyond ability even though that it sat there for 71 years i'm just curious how many of you you'll be honest enough to say you have some things around your house or on your property that have sat for far too long and you've just gotten used to them and even though you know it's not looking that good you just haven't put the time and effort or money to do something about it how many confession is good for the soul how, how many are in that boat i am in the boat i mean in fact this is the year that i've made a decision to do something about a number of these things Perhaps I can be a catalyst for you to do so. Your wife will be thrilled that you make that decision today. So, but this was feasible, man. This was doable. They, they could build this wall, but it is sad for 71 years. How many of you know we have this horrible, horrible human capacity to get used to what I call stabilized mediocrity? Things are not what they should be. They're not what they could be, but we just get used to them. And they just sit for far too long. Some of you right now, maybe the whole message to you, the Spirit of God is speaking to you and he's saying, you know, you, you, have been, you have been just stuck in this one place for so long. You know it's not God's will. You know it's not God's best. But it's comfortable. It's like an old shoe. It's comfortable. And you haven't been willing to step out and to say, you know what, there's too much debris. This has got to go. This has to be cleaned up. This has to be rebuilt. God wants something better, and I'm now ready to do something about it. This thing was spiritual. It was desirable, and it was feasible. They could do it. Let me share a verse with you from the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ living in Ephesus, he says, God is able... God is able to do much more than we ask, much more than we could even ask him or think, much more than we can think through his power. But where is his power at work? Where, come on, where's it at? In us. Everything that God does on this planet, he's going to do through his people, his people that care about him and care for what he cares about. His power that goes beyond what we think we can do, it's expressed through us. Now, I'm going to get real specific here because I know, I just know that the Spirit of God has spoken to somebody in the past about this. There's been a time in someone's life in here, I guarantee you, 
that you had something that went through your head it was something that you thought God wanted you to do it was some maybe ministry that you thought God wanted you to be a a kind of a spark for or to get started or to throw yourself into but it was clear at the time I think it might have went through your head like I know God wants me to step forward and help here or do this there or start this the other way and you wanted to do it you you really did maybe even you prayed maybe even you said God I'm going to do it but then something happened and you backed off and next thing you know time time started just running the clock just kept running and ticking and then it seemed further and further possible for you it seemed less and less important it seemed less and less likely and part of what got you tripped up listen to me because this is I just know God's speaking to somebody specifically part of what got you tripped up was you could not see yourself able to do it you didn't see that you had the ability you didn't have the wisdom you didn't have the gifting you didn't have the experience you didn't have the the temperament type whatever it was you just did not feel that you had what it took you felt like God wanted you to do it but you didn't feel you had what it took to get it done and this verse God is now reheating that calling to you and he's telling you again today he's saying listen this is not about your ability it is about your availability you make yourself available to me I will impart the ability to you I'll impart most of what we need is passion and motivation and if we have the passion and motivation for God and through God we will learn whatever we have to learn how many of you know that to be true when you have a passion burning in your heart from God to do his will to do his work you will find a way to learn and to develop and do whatever you need to do how many have had some experience in that regard my whole life is that my whole life can be explained in that thing right there so we have to let this sink in particularly some of you that have let that that calling go from years back and God is saying come on come on come on it's now now's the time let's let's get this thing reheated God is able to do much more than we ask or think through his power working in us they built the wall halfway because they worked with all their heart but halfway we know it's not sufficient it's got to go all the way so let's take it to the next level when God's people are committed to a shared purpose they don't just have a shared vision but they get committed to a shared purpose they worked with all their hearts they got the wall up halfway but you've got to get the job done and when you have commitment to a shared purpose your vulnerability actually works for you we know we need each other there's there's a text that I want to share with you and then then a comment that I want to make after that here we go back to Nehemiah so the storyline picks up but when Sanballat Tobiah the Arabs the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed they were very angry there's always evil that hates to see you become the person God created you to be and do the things God created you to do there's always the forces of darkness that hate to see churches united thriving spreading the kingdom of God spreading the good news of Christ seeing lives and families healed and made whole they there are powers of darkness that hate that they get angry at it it goes on it says they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against us look what they do but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night 
to meet this threat. That's important. Prayer is important, but prayer sometimes is not sufficient. You've got to pray, and you've got to post a guard. We have to pray, and we have to take action. That's God's methodology. Therefore, says Nehemiah, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. Notice again the natural motivation to protect your family. Placing them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. Listen, getting the work done, the work of God done in your life, becoming the person he means you to be and doing what he means you to do for you and I, it means not just prayer. It means not just focus. It means sometimes we have to literally go to war. How many of you know you need to be willing to go to war first within yourself? Is there anybody here this morning, and you'll, you'll acknowledge, the place I need to go to war, first of all, is within myself. Is anybody here humble enough and honest enough, you'll, you'll raise a hand to that one? Can I see your hands? Yeah. Listen. God's methodology for character development and growth, it means he wants us to want what he wants for us badly enough that we will fight, starting with ourselves. And ourselves are sometimes the biggest battle we have to fight with. He says, after these things, I looked over and I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, meaning the enemies, the external evil forces that don't want to see the work of God done. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. There's a time when we just got to fight. We have to fight for the work of God. Local churches that thrive, that do great things for God in their communities and around the world, they don't get that way without the people of God bonding together and fighting to see the work of God go forward. I can promise you that to be a truth, but it's well worth all the effort. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. So the wall, Nehemiah 6.15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in how many days? 52. It sat a debris field for 71 years unnecessarily it it was one of those unwise and unnecessary judgments about not sufficiently trying to eliminate the the promotion or or the the involvement of evil when it was not necessary 52 days they finished the job verse 16 when all our enemies heard about this all the surrounding nations were afraid they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God when people sense that something is so dramatic going on in a church in a person's life that only God could explain that kind of a change they are moved either toward God or they take a step back and at least though there's reverence and respect for the reality they they know that this God is there and they know that this God wants them in a loving way but that they will also be accountable should they disregard this God for the rest of their lives so when God's people are committed to a shared purpose it builds community the vulnerability builds community because we're all taking risks together 
It, you know, there's the old saying that unless you have some skin in the game, you know, you don't really care. If, if somebody's gambling with somebody else's money, they don't care nearly as much as if they're gambling. And I'm not advocating gambling here, so please don't. Even though Kim is in Las Vegas, I'm not advocating gambling. <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say? If there's no skin in the game, but when we all have skin in the game, when we're all taking a risk, well, it, it builds community. You know, we, we must pull together. Here's a verse that supports this or excuse me, a statement that supports this. Go, go back then, I'm sorry, Sarah. Community thrives when individuality is valued and interdependence is what? Needed. Listen, never, ever, ever go to a church or listen to anybody that's supposed to be giving spiritual talk or philosophical talk that minimizes individuality. We, we hear so much today about the collective. Individuality is God's mindset. The individual in one person is always, always, always important to God. But there are times when interdependence is necessary, and God delights in that. That's why he, he calls churches the very body of Christ, that we're his hands and we're his feet and we're his eyes and his ears and so forth. He wants us to be individuals, but he wants us to choose to work interdependently. It's a beautiful thing. It's a be this local church for 30 years has been a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. And, and this is the way the communities of God function when community thrives and individuality is valued and interdependence is needed. Let me go on now to, to a verse. Isaiah 12, 10. This is one about taking risks. God is my Savior. I will trust Him and not be afraid. We will take the risks that need to be taken to the degree that we trust in God. Uh, I, I think it was Kim that said a week or two ago that one of the things I've learned through the years and taught through the years, and this is, this is not a pitch for money, but I'm just telling you the truth and you know it's the truth. The reason that the people of God sometimes don't give freely of their financial resources is not because they're not generous. I, I know that most of them are generous, but it's because they're scared. They're afraid if we give, we're, we, might, we might miss those resources. We might hit a hard time. We, we might not have enough to survive. I understand that. The only thing that frees us from fear, appropriate levels of fear, is trust in God. When we are living our life centered in his word and will, the fear starts to dwindle and we take risks for God and that's what it takes to do the work of God. The Lord gives me power and strength. He's my savior. Not only does it take risk though, it takes responsibility. Each of us has to be willing to take our role. Let me share a verse with you on supporting that. 1 Corinthians 4.2, it says, those who have been given a trust must prove that they are, what? Faithful. Now, now, the likelihood is that many of us in this room probably do not realize that when you put your trust in Christ and became his follower, he put in your hands a trust, a sacred trust. He gives to each and every one of us that belong to him a spiritual gift or gifts. He gives us some capacities and some abilities and some experiences. He puts us in some, some relational context. And then he wants us to take all of these resources, the spiritual gifts, the natural gifts, the life learnings, the, the relational connections. He wants us to take all this, our temperament type, and take it and then offer it back to him and say, Lord, where do you want to use me? What, what is my unique ministry? What is my unique calling? You have a unique calling just as I have a unique calling. It's a trust. It's a sacred trust. Now, it's something that you are totally 
capable to do. So don't feel like it's something to stress you out. In fact, it's something that when you finally find it, it will energize you, it will excite you, it will fulfill you, it will satisfy you. There is nothing more satisfying than finding that niche in the body of Christ, that place that God has called you to fill and to serve, but it does mean that I've got to be responsible. It means that if you don't fulfill your role and I don't fulfill my role, the body of Christ is going to be weakened in some way. Nehemiah's generation they all had to to roll up their sleeves and go to work some of them had to carry spears and get ready to fight some of them had to have a trowel and a hammer whatever it took but they all had to take responsibility and do what they were able to do so this is a critical part of this commitment that they were involved in and then the third part was this resolve now resolve <laughs> resolve is something we don't like but it's something we all understand uh, how many of you don't always like it when your alarm clock goes off to wake you up to go to work? How many of you don't always like that? Can I see your hands? Okay. But you do go to work. Why? Because you've made a value-based decision. At some point, you're, you decided that eating and having a roof over your head was important. And so you decided, you resolved that I'm going to get up and go to work because I like to eat. And I like to have a roof over my head. You see, it's a resolution. It's not that you feel like doing it. It's something that you do. Pete mentioned a few weeks ago something uh, that he and I shared. And one of the truths about life is life is more about showing up again and again and again than almost anything else. I mean, you know, a lot of people think about gift and expertise, but, it, but it's about showing up consistently. It's about resolve. So they got the, the, the wall to half the height, but half the height is not a wall. You've got to get it to the full height. So they kept at it even though they were being threatened, even though they were under pressure, even though they were risking. They kept at it responsibly, each of them, until the wall was finished and it turned out to be just a 52-day job. Now, let me tell you something about that 52-day job. They rebuilt the wall. After 71 years of it sitting as a debris field, they built the wall. That wall served for another 510 years it served all the way up till jesus day it, it had some uh, you know repairs during those years all the way up to jesus day it lasted past jesus day jesus prophesied just five days before his crucifixion that it would finally be destroyed in a generation less than 40 years and sure enough just as jesus prophesied in 70 a.d a roman general named titus came in and destroyed that wall and yet fragments of that wall still exist how many of you have ever seen jews praying at what they call the wailing wall and sticking their prayer request in the cracks in the stones how many have ever seen that this is not an unusual thing you can look on youtube parts of that wall that these guys 2466 years ago partook in it's still standing now now here's where i'm going with this the work that they did the risk that they took, the responsibility that they embraced, they had no clue, no clue of the long-range impact it was going to have on generation after generation, child after child, teen after teen, young adult after young adult, family after family. They had no idea how enormous their contribution. Let me go further. Let me go further. They're just out there working and risking. They had no idea. God's writing this down. God's writing their story down and he wants generation after generation to know 
what these people did a people that were just willing to do what God wanted them to do at all cost there's no reason that all of us in this room can't be that person so let me share a verse with you that it's one of my favorite about resolve from 1 Corinthians 15 58 the apostle Paul he says therefore my dear brothers and sisters and I say that to all of you stand firm stand firm let nothing move you always big word always give yourselves how much fully always fully always fully to what to the work of the Lord why because you know that your labor in the Lord is not what it's not in vain I was 23 years old when I became a follower of Christ and this stuff all clicked in my mind I realized at that moment that serving God was the only thing that ultimately was going to matter at life's end I was not a smart guy but I did understand a thing or two and when I put my trust in Christ I determined that you got me for whatever you can do with me I am utterly and all yours because serving God at life's end is the only thing that's going to really matter no, no, you can serve God by loving your spouse and loving your family and loving your friends and being a good employee. So don't think it just means doing what I'm doing. No, 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 no. We all have different missions, different calling. But it, it's a critical principle to tuck away. Now, I'm going to close with uh, an illustration that may bomb. Okay, so, so you give me some slack because it, it could bomb. But I'm just trying to tie this together a little bit. So for some of us, the past three days have been really exciting because it's NFL draft day. Uh, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Some of you yawn. Some of you like it. But, but NFL football season, it's, it's on its way. It's starting back up again. And so just picture it's fall season and NFL is back, you know, back on TV. And it's one of those Sunday afternoons. And so a couple, there's this couple that they're, they're at home and they're, they're watching a game. And so it's, it's the first quarter and it's a super exciting game. And then one of the people, uh, one of the persons in the couple looks at the other person and sees that they are dozing off. And, and, and so they lock eyes, and the dozing off person says to the other one, says, all right, all right, I, so what? I'm dozing off. I just don't get it. A bunch of grown men running around in silly costumes, wearing big plastic hats, knocking each other down. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And then the other person says, oh, but you, you don't understand. You see, every single one of those men on that field has a different role, a different assignment. They have to move in a certain way. Every play is different. They all have the same goal. They all must contribute or, or it can't happen. And they have tremendous effort and skill, and they make great sacrifices. They're taking big risks. And then the other person says, can we just watch a Hallmark movie? <laughs> and then... Tune in now, tune in now. And then she says to him, yes, I'll record the game and you can watch your Hallmark movie. <laughs> okay, that's as good as I get. That's, that's, that's <laughs> so in closing, I want to share one last really critical thought. Could it be, in fact, there's a statement. Let, let, let me share this statement. We all need walls that honor Christ, frustrate evil, and maximize healthy spiritual development. Do we not? Do we not? Yes, we need these. And maybe you know that God has nudged you today to say there are some walls that you or I have allowed to deteriorate for too long, and he is stirring up a fire to say, let's get busy in 
patching up things and building those walls. And then there's possibly some that God's got something really unique to say to you. Here's the thing. Nehemiah was an utterly ordinary guy. He was a food eater, (laughs) a food taster. We can all do that. But what was different about Nehemiah was he was a food eater, a food taster that had a love for God and a love for God's people and God's work that threw him into the midst of this building project that then served generations for 510 years and people still are seeking God today at a fragment of that wall that Nehemiah was the catalyst to build. It just could be that you're the Nehemiah. You're just an ordinary person, the way you see yourself at least, but you're far from ordinary. God wants to do something extraordinary through you because you care. You've got to have the care. If you've got the passion for God and His work and His will and His people, God will provide the rest. You just need to step forward like Nehemiah did and watch the Spirit of God start to work in you and through you and all around you. That's my hope for some of you. The whole message was about that today. And I hope you'll have the courage to respond to that. Let's pray. Father, we know that your spirit was active here today. And I just can't wait to see what occurs. I give thanks in Christ's name. Amen.